Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, centering the marginalized in Mormonism. Today we have some special guests with us. We are joined by the hosts of the Holy Human Podcast, Katie and Serena. Welcome to you both. Hello. Thank you. We're so happy to be here. Happy to have you guys with us. Thank you for joining us. What is the ministry of the Holy Human Podcast? Well, we're trying to bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. Yeah, our goal is to share a lot of different perspectives on how people that are disabled fit into the church. Sometimes they're positive, negative, neutral. Obviously, disabled people see things differently, so we don't always 100% agree or experience the same things that other people that are also disabled experience. But we're trying to make it a platform where we are showing it is different to be in the church and disabled. It's a different experience, and it's something that people can learn a lot from and be more aware of as they go about their ministry in the church. If you guys wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your background, just for our own benefit and the benefit of our listeners, that would be awesome. Uh, Serena, why don't we start with you? Whenever people ask me to do this, I always forget like large swaths of my life. Uh, I'm 25. <laughs> uh, I'm doing a an MFA in creative writing, screenwriting right now. I have narcolepsy and cataplexy, and probably I have borderline personality disorder. So there are people with narcolepsy without cataplexy, um, like my mom, uh, whereas myself and at least one of my sisters, we both have narcolepsy with cataplexy. So, Got you. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, Katie, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, of course. I... Grew up in Washington State. I'm currently in Utah. I was born with spina bifida, which is uh, when you're, an easy explanation of it is you're, when you're born, your spinal cord is too long and the it has nowhere to go. So the nerves get tangled up and like balled up. Some people with spina bifida have one surgery and then they're good. And some people have a ton of surgeries and I've had 24. So I, from a young age, I, was in and out of the hospital a lot. I could walk a little bit when I was when I was young, but as some people spina bifida, as you get older and as your spine stretches as you grow, you have to go back in for surgeries and back in for surgeries, and that increases risks of uh, mobility, you know, other issues. Uh, so I didn't use walking aids until I was in fifth grade, and now I mean I've used almost all the walking aids you can use, but now I use forearm crutches to walk around and wheelchairs, depending on if I'm going a long distance or if I'm extra, if I don't have energy that day. I married someone with spina bifida too, and he's uh, in a chair. So we, we get a lot of stares when we're in public. People think that we're not married or dating because I guess that's uncommon for able-bodied people to see. Um, Wait, Katie, question. That, that um, thing at, at the restaurant the other day, were you with Ryan? Were it both oh, of you yeah. at the restaurant? Oh, my God. Yeah, gosh, I can gosh. share that for a sec. <laughs> at a restaurant, someone was being really rude to us about our needs. And well, Goodness. we walked in and they said, I'll get the chair instead of I'll get this couple, like bring us to our table. I'll get this couple or I'll get this man. They said, I'll get the wheelchair. And then they like were bugged that we weren't walking fast enough to our table. Anyway, it was it was really upsetting and we ended up leaving. So yeah, we get treated weird in public sometimes and you know I'm sure a lot of minorities experience that. <laughs> so it's just something that you are 
you do your best to not get mad and educate people, but you're imperfect. You know, it's hard sometimes. We, grew, we went to seminary together. We did. Yeah, we met in <laughs> seminary. So like we've known each other for ago. a while. <laughs> yeah, for about 10 years, we've known each other. That's that's mad cool. Just, oh. just for our listeners, um, how did you two meet really quick? Yeah, Derek, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we met at the Rob Gardner Oratorio that we both sang in that spring of... I guess it was 2016. It would have, it would have had to be 2017. 20, I didn't move was, to Boston until 2017. Okay. Then it was the spring of 2017. The natural question from that that's going to flow from the backgrounds that you guys have, both with your experience in the church and disability, is going to be how has that informed your current ministry? Well, Serene is the one that presented the idea to me, but for a while... I had been thinking about how being in the church and being disabled is different and how I feel like overall the church does pretty good with disability, making things like as accessible as possible. As possible, I guess the first thing that I experienced where I was like, wait, I'm being treated because of my, I'm being treated differently because of my disability was going on a mission. And that's understandable, but the way it happened was strange. So I... I got called to serve a temporary two transfer mission in Washington. And then they decided at the end of my two transfer mission, I would be able to resubmit my papers or I had to be, sorry, I had to be evaluated by my mission president, my former companions and by myself. And I'd answer like a questionnaire about how I felt I was doing. And they got a similar questionnaire and then got to write like a paragraph about just other notes about what they wanted to include about how I was doing. And after I did that, I got re a new call and served the rest of my mission in Texas. But the strange thing was the paperwork that I got that was testing, like, are you handling being a missionary? Well, are you holding back the work? All of the questions were questions about emotional problems. There wasn't a single question about physical disability. And I was like, why Why am I getting this questionnaire? It was really strange. I, I don't know if there wasn't one that existed that had questions about physical disabilities. That's kind of my assumption. So I felt like I kind of snuck into m- the rest of my mission. And I felt guilty about that. Like, I was like, I'm, this isn't a true evaluation of like, can I serve a mission? <clears throat> but I, I still feel personally like I was able to serve my mission and not hold the work back. I needed a car in every area. But I never, ever was, I never said to my companion, I'm too tired, I need to go home. Like, we did the whole day, we were out working, and I feel like God gave me the strength to be able to do that. So I feel incredibly blessed in that way. I know not, I know there's someone that maybe would look exactly like me with my same disability and be told no. So the way that the church calls people to do missionary service and how they evaluate if you're too disabled to serve or not is it's it's not a clear path it's not a clear system in how they do that and i know it's a little different today they do more service missions now because i served from 2014 to 2016 um but that was my experience and i i started opening up a little bit more my eyes to like how does church culture treat disability? How do we get treated in lessons, especially lessons that talk about resurrection? Me and my husband are always like, people are like just waiting for us to comment. Like, 
you must have an experience with this. Will you share? Like, like, and, and I, I don't know if that's so much general society and how they treat disability or if, if it is affected by church culture. And I'm trying to learn more about that and figure that out. But yeah, it, it is a little bit of a different life in the church. And we're learning more and more with the disabilities that we don't have hearing other people's experiences about like neurodiversity and other disabilities on how they get treated at church and how it's like probably, I mean, my story is pretty minor to how constant people get treated differently because of their disabilities, if you, especially neurodiversities. Thank you for sharing that. And not to like belabor this point, because I'm pretty sure you guys mentioned this on one of your previous uh, episodes. I don't know if it was this most recent one or the one before, but one of y'all said something about uh, how in the resurrection or in heaven, some along those lines, heaven won't necessarily be a place where, you know, disabilities are fixed, but a place where like, but perhaps a place instead where everybody is given access the accommodations that they need. I don't remember which one of y'all said that, but I hope you don't mind. I totally stole that last week because that was extremely <laughs> profound, and I I really like that. It's something I've never considered, and it was uh, it was just a really cool insight. And I just, was just reminded of that when you spoke, Katie. Yeah, we, yeah. I, I'm really glad that you yeah. liked that too. It blew our minds while we were talking about it, like as we were reading Doctrine and Covenants, and we we're like, oh my gosh, this could totally apply to disabilities. Like we, according to our desires, yeah. Heaven, I think heaven's going to be really different than a lot of people assume based on what we're taught in the church. And it's really cool to think about. Mm. <laughs> right. I have a question for both of you, especially sort of the reactions you're, you get put on the spot to answer the question about what the next life will be like, whether people will get, quote, fixed. Do you think that behind that might be their own stuff? Like there's stuff about themselves that they want fixed and then they map that and project it onto you and assume that you want to be fixed as well? Um, That's a really good question. I think, I think yes, but I don't think I always like psychoanalyze them in that moment. Um, and I think we actually talk about this in our most recent one that we, that we're releasing this weekend, Katie, um, is, is just this, this culture of perfectionism, at least in American Mormonism, uh, where we feel like we have to earn our way to heaven. And like, yes, we know that Jesus, or we as a whole believe that Jesus exists, that grace exists, that the atonement is real, and that we don't need to earn our way to heaven. But I, I still think people have internalized that whole Protestant work ethic thing and <clears throat> just f feel like they have to be perfect. And there's a bunch of things probably that exacerbate it. Um, especially in <coughs> Utah, <coughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, I, and so I would say as a whole, I, I would, I would point to that. Um, but like I said, I don't necessarily psychoanalyze everyone except maybe I can tell a little bit when they're, <clears throat> when they're trying, when they really like subscribe to that paradigm, um, yeah, and I think it also depends on personality. Like, I'm a big believer in the Enneagram. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it changes the world his eyes at me. <laughs> what, I gotta know what your number is now. You gotta guess. <laughs> Jeez. Let me just say it's it's worth it. This whole thing is worth it now because I've gotten to hear Serena's laugh like three times now. 
Ah, I'm <laughs> terrible at this. <coughs> I don't want to. Okay. I'm not going to. F- I need like, I should be sitting on my couch, but I need a table. A couch would be more stable for me to sit on. Um, <clears throat> anyway, did that answer your question, Derek? <laughs> it did. It did. Okay. Um, I just wanted to let everyone know oh, that Katie I'm. Katie has an idea. Oh. Oh, I just wanted to add my thoughts. I think it's hard to know what people are thinking. Um, but especially since creating this podcast, I feel like, I don't know if this is your experience, Serena, but I feel like I'm getting othered a lot more. Mm. Like, that's what you think as a disabled person? Oh, well, that's not how it is. You're you're just, you know, you're confused because you're trying to mix disability in with things that don't that don't make sense for it to be mixed in with. And I not people haven't said that straight up, but that's the attitude I'm getting and I wonder how much that happens in people's minds when I comment at church. Now that I'm getting it more a little more directly now that we have this platform that we're trying to build up, I feel like people it's easier for them to say, "Oh, well that's the disabled perspective, but that's not what's actually happening." And it's frustrating for me. <laughs> You told me that, and I was actually surprised because yeah. I feel like the <laughs> the biggest thing I've got from my family and friends is ambivalence. <laughs> but I mean, okay. <clears throat> like, and I, and I feel like it's yeah. different for people that are reaching out to us with disabilities. I feel True. like we've had so many people message us. Like, I'm yeah. shocked at how many people message us and are saying, like, "Thank you." I feel like this is the space I need. I feel like this is a whole new Sunday school that I want to participate in because you say things that I have trouble vocalizing or understanding. And I, it's it, to me like disability is there's so many parallels in what the doctrine we learn about in experiences, like everything is connected back to disability. I can find the connection at least. I'm sure it's hard for people if you like, I'll never understand what it's like to be gay or to be black, but I can learn about people's experiences and honor them and do my best to raise voices and act according to what I learn. So I don't, but I don't think it's necessarily that. I think people are just like, oh, you're trying to cause drama where there's not drama. You're trying to mix in perspectives that don't make sense according to what's really happening. Oh, it's frustrating to me. Yeah, I I had a conversation with a friend kind of about this, about like marginalized perspectives. And uh, they were kind of like, oh, don't you think that people who have gone through racial trauma or PTSD or or mental health trauma, etc., don't you think that they're biased in these situations to their triggers, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I said, "Um, I and this. Well, I don't I don't want to call them out, so I'm not going to say their name or their race or their gender, but but y'all can guess. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> any, but I told them, um, I told them, um, like you told him, you told his white self. What'd you tell him? <laughs> I told them, it's it, perhaps there's an insight that you don't get mind blown because you haven't had that experience as a marginalized person anyway he, we had that a right here oh discussion. sorry go ahead what'd you say i was gonna say this right here is why i needed to name the race and the gender of this person is because 
Whiteness and maleness conditions you to view yourself as objective and as somebody yep. who is capable of having no bias, you know? Yep. Oh my like, gosh, yeah. Whiteness, maleness is a hell of a drug like that. You think that you're devoid of bias because the world revolves around you. You are mm -hmm. normal by our standards. So when somebody who doesn't fit the norm, when somebody who is not male or not white, you immediately think they are going to be biased or they are going to have a perspective that is biased that is not worth considering, which you know mm -hmm. has to be regularly named and called out because we're not going to fix things like the patriarchy or not fix the patriarchy but rather dismantle it we're not going to dismantle white supremacy we're not going to dismantle these other supremacies until we are able to understand that the privileges we have as men as white people as able-bodied folks as cisgendered folks are able to be acknowledged as not full or rather acknowledged as having privilege at the expense of somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Like, this is, is not my strength. It is a strange thing. Words. I feel like when, if you know, like when you tell a story and you're telling it from a person's perspective, obviously there's another side of the story. And like people see things with different perspectives. So I don't understand why people would be like, oh, but this is like objectively the truth. When obviously people experience so many different things differently. And then you mm -hmm. add all these prejudices if you're in a minority upon that, like, oh my gosh, it should be obvious, but it's still an attitude that's carried by yeah. white, able-bodied men. Privilege is <laughs> a hell of a drug. It is. And one thing that I've noticed is the experiences of all these different identities are, are different. They're not the same, but one of the analogies you can make is that the tools of oppression are very limited in number. And so mm -hmm. a lot of the same things that are used to dismiss women are similar to the tools that are dis used to dismiss queer folks or folks of color. Even though those experiences aren't really at all the same, a lot of the conversation ends up being very similar and there's some overlap. And I'd love to maybe explore another time in more depth some of the intersectionality and some of the crossover between a number of these identities. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Um, I just realized I didn't answer your question, by the way, about like why. I oh yeah, let's come back this to this. <laughs> let's come back to this. Thank you, yeah. Serena, for bringing us back on track. I do want to talk about that, Derek. Though I want to make sure I validate that. Um, yeah, I. So I guess my reason why I wanted to start uh, Holy Human is because I. Um, let's see, how do I say this in two hundred words or less? Um, <laughs> I I was uh, I've been going through like revolving faith crises um, for the past like three years. I I don't think everything is the way it should be uh, in the church. Like I mean I've always thought that, but um, but it really like I can't ignore it anymore. Sort of thing. Uh, anyway, long story short is that's the place I was in um, right before COVID and. I I had this moment. I was standing in my kitchen in Lehigh, Utah, and I was just like, I, I I can't do it anymore. Like I cannot be part of this church. It's just too hard emotionally for me. Um, it's I just every time I attend a ward or I have a conversation with someone in the ward or a bishop or something like I just it's too emotionally draining. And if I'm emotionally drained, I cannot walk. I, I was just like, I can't, this is not healthy for me. And I just kind of like told God, like, 
you need to make some changes. Like, I'll be back, maybe, but I'm not gonna be back until till you like grow up a bit, sort of thing, <laughs> and and make some changes, like uh, for LGBTQ folks, for Black and people of color, uh, for women, especially as a woman, like that's something I've been feeling my whole life. Um, I don't know. I wrote I wrote a blog post at the time that was like that that expressed my feelings, and I said if the church were a husband. I would tell myself to leave him, you know, um, because it's, it felt like an abusive relationship. It felt like I was giving and giving and giving and not getting anything back. And then I found y'all's podcast and I found um, Faithful Feminist. I just like felt overwhelmed by by what Mormons call the spirit for the for, for the first time in, in, in a long time. I had a moment where I was like, okay, like, this is amazing. I just, I want, I want to do the same thing for other people who have, um, who, who have experienced disability, who have, who have my particular outlook, you know, or at least another piece of my outlook. Just hearing you speak about that just brought all these memories back <clears throat> to me as I was like considering why I wanted to, you know, create this, create Beyond the Block as a podcast and, uh, you know, pretty much everything you said in there, I wanted there to be a space that was able to be created and inhabited as often as we were expected to create and inhabit the spaces that we are expected to every Sunday. Like if I got to be at church every Sunday and hear messages that potentially do not affirm me or people that look like me or people that love differently than me or people that are not, you know, privileged in terms of certain identities, then I want to at least be able to as often inhabit another space that does affirm me and that does affirm other people. Like I will never forget being 19 years old in a BYU ward and having to sit in the middle of an awkward conversation where the people around me, all white, were talking about the justifications for the priesthood or temple restrictions. And I had to just, like if I push back on it at all, I knew that my voice was going to get drowned out. This is when I first realized or at least experienced firsthand how much of a drug whiteness was because even though you are the most qualified person in the room to speak to this issue and you've probably poured and studied this issue more than anybody else, just because everybody around you is louder than you and has more power than you, you will be invalidated. And that is frustrating. That is easily one of the most frustrating things I deal with when it comes to like trying to speak to black issues at church is knowing that ultimately there's going to be someone in power who can invalidate me. I'm really sorry you had to deal with that. I, I know that hurts and I know that's painful. Yeah, I'm curious about something, James, in, in regard to what you said when you were the one black person in this sea of white people and having to confront the audacity of caucasity <laughs> what 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 did you how would you feel if like a white person stepped in and said the stuff that if you had said them you would have gotten invalidated like that, is that that actually happened once too this happened in a sunday school class where somebody that i didn't know very well basically reaffirmed this idea of divine justification or divine authorship of the priesthood and temple restrictions i will never forget this my good friend and at the time a bishopric member sterling crockett he spoke up and said no 
this was not a divine thing. We do not have the evidence for such a thing. He probably didn't want to embarrass this young man in front of everybody. But like when you repeat some false doctrine in a Sunday school class and you are in the bishopric, like you can't just let that slide. Something has to be said then and there, much like Paul did when, you know, Peter was acting the fool in Antioch. You had to do something then and there. I'm so glad that uh, Sterling used his position and his privilege to handle that in a way that I could not have possibly handled it. Like his whiteness gives him the illusion of objectivity. His position as a leader gives him authority and power. And the fact that he said those things and so that I didn't have to, you know, meant the world to me. So yeah, I I welcome that. I welcome that all day. And that leads to another question for both Katie and Serena. Is there something you would like to tell non-disabled people about what you would see their role to be like obviously that's a very long conversation there are many many things that could be on this list but if you have anything that's on your mind at this moment i'd be curious if you have anything to say i love what james said just now i feel like my experience with disability is that people speak for me a lot of the time people especially for my husband who's in a chair. Some people assume that he can't communicate and is nonverbal, which, you know, some people have multiple disabilities and that's fine. Uh, But he, his only disability is spina bifida. So he has the ability to speak for himself and he is an adult. So I'm used to people- by the way. (laughs) Sorry? Just gonna say your husband is one of my favorite people and one of the more opinionated people I know. And it's amazing. (laughs) He's great, yeah. And I, I, I just view it differently because of that, because we're spoken for so much of the time. And there's, I mean, what was the stat, uh, Serena, that we put together? Like, there's one, it's either one fifth or one fourth of everyone in the U.S. that has a form of a disability, some kind of disability, I, at least I, one. I don't remember the stat. I just remember calculating it and applying that, that same percentage to the average ward and realizing that there should be 80 people in the average ward with disabilities. With a, at least one disability. Yeah, 80, if, 80, 80. 80, yeah. yeah. So if, I mean... If it matches to the stats that are in the U.S., which if it doesn't, what, why? What's the problem there? Why? Yeah. So you have to think about that. But if we're assuming that it's about the same as the United States, you know, according to how many disabled people are in the U.S. and then how many disabled people are in wards in the U.S., uh, there should be plenty of voices to speak about disability. So when people speak for disabled people, that's hard for me. I don't, I'm having trouble answering your question, though. Beyond that, I, I feel like it's important for able-bodied people to respect our experiences and allow, allow us respect and privacy on our testimonies when we want them. I kind of mentioned before, in any uh, lesson about resurrection, I feel like Ryan and I are pushed to speak whether we want to or not. And that that's that's a level of having a disability that's visible to people. I know people have invisible disabilities and that's a whole nother discussion, but people just assume like, hey, you're disabled and you're a member of the church. You must have a great experience with this. And that could be something that 
someone with a disability is grappling with at the time and they feel excluded because of that doctrine. You know what I mean? So I would just say like respect and don't assume that we're the strongest testimonies and we have, you know, tender spirits because, you know, everyone's going through their own thing. And I, I, I really appreciate when I feel safe to speak about my true feelings about how my disability is connected to my testimony. I, I loved Derek on one of your episodes, you said like, because I am gay in the church, I've had to put a lot of time into studying these things to feel like my membership and my like being comfortable in this space makes sense. And I know what I'm talking about. We disabled people have to do that too. If they are able to work past internalized ableism, I would say, because that's, uh, that's a whole nother thing that's mm -hmm. really, really mm -hmm. difficult too. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Katie, because for many of our listeners, that's an important correction of some of their uh, good instincts would be to like, oh, there's some injustice, I wanna speak to it. And then not speaking for someone else is is an important reminder. And then on the other hand, the whole piece of of like letting you speak or not exp not asking you to speak and, and giving you privacy. See, for me, just speaking from the queer perspective, I don't mind this. I don't I don't expect privacy. I want everyone to put rainbows all over my face, right? Like I, if ever anyone says Derek, give me a gay opinion on this. Like I have like five opinions and then two Bible lectures that you will get. So I. For me, I never have a problem with people asking me to speak. So, and I, it's hard because I don't want to. I know that there's disabled people that have different perspectives than me, but for someone who has a visible disability, I feel like privacy is stripped from me all the time. People just mm -hmm. assume they can ask me whatever they want. Like, all the time, strangers in public will be like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, do you not think that that's a personal question? What's wrong with you? Like, I could, I could ask you that question too. Like, why? Uh, and that, that immediately I'm supposed to be like, oh, you're talking about my disability instead of like, oh, is my hair messed up? Oh, it, you know, is my, are my shoes, you know, am I wearing my mm. left shoe on my right foot or, or you know, whatever. Like, uh, that's just, that speaks so much to like how people other disability and it drives me crazy. But, but I do know that there's people that see it differently than me, so I have to respect that. But that's how I would answer that question. I think that is an important, I don't, I wouldn't say distinction, but probably uh, different, pr we have differing op op opinions on that because your disability is visible and mine is not. Um, whereas I feel like I, I don't know, I, I want to give the disabled perspective and speak up. I, well, I also, I said this before, I just, I just like people to pay attention to me, but, um, but I would want able-bodied people to know, I think I just, I just want them to listen and to validate for once. Um, and to just give space to recognize that their experiences are not all inclusive, um, and that there is such a diversity of experiences out there, even within the disability and neurodiversity communities, plural, um, because a lot of people, uh, with neurodiversities who are autistic or who are maybe deaf or blind, they don't necessarily consider themselves as having a disability. So even within that, there's a wide range of feelings and opinions and perspectives. And so it's, it's almost, it's almost mind boggling to me that we're like trying to, <laughs> to bring in so many different perspectives. But at the same time, I feel like, 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 
I haven't seen this done before. And so I think we really need to do it. And I'm tired of like waiting around for other people to do stuff. You know, that I just don't do that. I like a lot of people like compliment me sometimes. They're like, Serena, you're so brave, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm not brave. I'm just impatient. Okay. <laughs> like, I just don't want to wipe. I like if someone else wants to do it, that's fine. But I, I like, I like look around. So this happens in Sunday school time. I'm like Sunday school. Like people, teacher asks a question, and I'm like, okay, somebody else say something. You know, all right, I'll raise my hand. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just want, I just want that that diversity of opinions to be validated and to not always be shut down and to not always have people in the church think that there's only one way to interpret it. Um, yeah. And then actually Katie, with what you were talking about with dis- with like visible and invisible disabilities uh, and kind of what, what Derek and I, um, or in the messages, sometimes we've talked about this a little bit, um, about how like, the the analogy between coming out and disability, I almost feel like I, I feel that a little bit in in as kind of it as I as I train my service dog, you know, like without my service dog, my disability is invisible until until I have like a cataplectic attack, right, um, which can happen zero times a day or it can happen a hundred times a day, you know, just depending on what's going on and my emotions um, uh, and how much sleep I got and if I ate or whatever, or, or if the sun is shining. I, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say that as a joke, but literally, yeah, sometimes the sun can be a trigger. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, my point is I, I do feel like I'm gradually, as I train my service dog and take him into more public access spaces take him into more public spaces do more public access work with him it's it's an exercise in coming out for me yeah that that is interesting now i have two more follow-up questions and they're they're kind of related one is do you think we in the church should incorporate conversations around disability more intentionally in our curriculum in our talks in our general conference especially uh getting away from what i've heard of as called inspiration porn where like, oh, there's this person with a disability and look how they they strove and they strived and they thrived and they whatever. And, and doesn't that make you feel better about like what little thing, you know, you know what I'm talking about, but with inspiration porn. We see this all the time and that's almost the only time that I know of that we really talk about disability. So yeah, that's the first question is, should we talk about disability more in our classes or or is it kind of like, oh, if we talk about it, they're going to get it wrong and it's worse than to be, begin with. And then the second question is, what about people with disabilities in leadership roles? Like, should we see more of them and how can we get more people who understand in these roles, um, like we've heard in the disability community, nothing about us without us. Like if we had more leadership of people with both visible and invisible disabilities, uh, would it be easier to incorporate some of these in the curriculum in a healthy way? Katie was um, excited, I, so you answer. <laughs> yeah, I well, I kind of get mad at myself that I get emotional when people use disability vocabulary because I'm like, uh, I shouldn't be so happy and so proud of you that you know that 
but it's a big deal. Like the phrase inspiration porn, people are like, oh, like I think people think inspirational porn, which is not, <laughs> that's, that's gotta be something totally different. I'm for it. <laughs> I'll find the genre. Porn. <laughs> inspiration porn, like one of the best examples is like someone who's am- has a leg amputation and is playing basketball. And then it says underneath, like, what's your excuse? Like, like don't don't objectify disabled bodies to make your able-bodied person feel motivated or feel better about themselves that's wrong um but yeah i i i guess i i need to speak better to the importance of allies because i i don't like being spoken for but if someone honestly tries their best to educate themselves and learn vocab history um, learn all these different perspectives that disabled people have, I would feel more comfortable if people spoke from knowledge and, and spoke for me. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I guess my problem when I say I don't like it when people speak for me is that so often it's like they're coming from a, pace, a place of zero education mm-hmm. or knowledge and they're just like assuming things based on what I look like or what they assume my needs are because of whatever, I don't know, of just stereotypes I don't know um so yeah I think if 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 people intentionally educate themselves about the disabled experience and history um I would love if it was incorporated more in church uh in church history even like the church has a disability website but I I have not found a single source of like sharing disabled stories or disabled history in the church. Like I tried to look up like, oh, we learned that Lucy Harris had a hearing impairment. What are other people in church history that were disabled? We know there's a couple prophets that were in wheelchairs, but there's no resource that says, here's all these disabled people in church history. There's not a single place that I could find that information. So just getting more information out there to show that there are disabled people in church and here's their positions. And then also, hopefully, we'll get more information out there as there's more leadership in church. Like, there will be more history made as there's someone that's neurodiverse in, that's an apostle. Like, I, I know that, I, I don't want to assume Jeffrey R. Holland has a disability, but I know he's talked about mental health stuff a ton. And that's really, really cool to see that he's using his platform for that. But beyond that, I haven't seen a lot of, I mean... There's the occasional, like, this this person uh, got in an accident and they became disabled and they used, they still used their priesthood to be a good, you know, service leader, a good priesthood holder. There's, there's the occasional story of like that in general conference, which is fine. I don't want to, you know, that's an incredible experience, but if that's the only story stories that are shared there's a problem with that like I want to see more or like when the church uses stock footage while there's like a person sharing a conference talk and it's like a Mormon message or whatever um I I've noticed that disability is only shown when it's like I'm in the hospital and I'm sick and I'm looking out the window and I'm so sad and I need Christ in my life it's never shown like I'm I'm a dad and my kids just came home and I'm hugging them from my wheelchair and I'm happy. It doesn't really show that. It's always like 
oh, if you you can get through sickness and illness with the power of Christ, which you can, but let's show other stories of people just leaving, leading normal lives and they also have disabilities. Where are those? I don't see them. Oh, it's hard. And it's hard too. I don't want to, it's hard too because there's like this thing where you don't want to necessarily say, this person was in the wheel in a wheelchair if it has nothing to do with the story. I know that that's kind of a thing too. Um, so I, it's just a hard, it's a hard thing to understand how to do it. But I would appreciate a lot more representation of just like normal people because disabil- disability is, like I said before, it can be positive, neutral, or negative. And we seem to only see really one story often mm-hmm. in the church. Uh, one thing that I thought of is uh, there's there could be ways of talking about ableism and talking about the oppression as a structure itself without speaking to the needs of any specific person with a disability because that uh, we can't really do appropriately. Yeah, but there could um, be ways of teaching. I guess my my first thought is I feel like a lot more people have disabilities or at least are neurodiverse than admitted in the church. Um, I think, I mean, and whether or not this is doctrine or culture is debatable, but um, I I think a lot of people just think, okay, if I have enough faith, uh, then I can get through this. And and they go up in Sunday or or like in testimony meeting and they share this experience or whatever and about how they overcame this hardship, which was actually related to possibly a disability or at least like a mental health thing, you know, because a lot of people have mental health struggles and it's just always a, a like, I can overcome it through faith. And I... um. I I don't know. I, that sort of environment, I feel like um I feel like toxic positivity is something that's talked a lot about in mental health arenas, but I think is also applicable to disability because the idea is if you work hard enough and again, the whole work ethic thing, if you try hard enough, you, if you just find the right fix, then you can you can move past this, you know? And so I think it's almost shameful for people to um, admit that that this that they have an issue or that or not even an issue that they have something that is outside the norm, whether that's depression or whether um, they're autistic or whether they're whether they have a disability, you know, like I think a lot of it is internalized, like I need to fit the mold. I need to be an example to my friends and family. I need, I want all these blessings. And so I'm just going to put my faith in Christ and forget everything else. Um, And so they don't really take the time to explore it. And so I think if a lot of people in the church just explored it and just asked themselves, like, how do I relate to disability how do i relate to neurodiversity like i think they would discover that they're actually a lot more they have a lot more commonalities or maybe they actually are disabled or do have are neurodiverse and they just like have been denying it to themselves and i think at least with that we would see a lot more representation in the church first thing is admitting it to yourself and then comes the whole 
coming out process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an important uh, parallel with the at least my queer experience. And we get some of the same uh, tools of oppression used against us, like the, oh, if you just work hard enough and you pray hard enough and you fast, you'll end up straight. And I'm like, have you even met me? Like, there, there's no ungaying my fabulosity, okay? So, and that is, that speaks to an important part about we are socialized to minimize or hide or privatize disability in so many ways that make it hard for people to admit it or even recognize it. And then that impacts people's ability to access the spaces, to access the content, to access the, the spiritual life of our community. Yeah, I um, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, and I think there's, a, there's like responsible ways that we can teach about disability if we do it in a healthy and an appropriate manner. Like I was thinking perhaps I should speak more because I'm also a gospel doctrine teacher. And when teaching the Bible, I think it's important to talk about like a theological model of disability where God, you know, afflicts people with disabilities as a as a punishment for sin which of course we need to name and then refudiate uh to use one of sarah palin's words and then we can also talk about the (laughs) medical model of disability the social model of disability and how some of these things inform our understanding of the scriptures and our understanding of our life in community oh my gosh yes 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 i think people um should I think people don't want to be disabled um, and, and, and they can't fathom that someone would actually w- like want to sit in that experience and enjoy it. And so I think that's a lot of why we don't see representation. And anyway, but I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and the queer experience on this has to be to be responding with, with queer pride. And some people are like, how are you mm-hmm. proud of that? Like, it's disgusting. And I, I see this also, um, it's not the same, of course, but there's an analogy with the deaf pride movement is a lot of people would say, well, how can you be proud of that? But that they don't realize that there's an entire culture for, for many deaf people. There's an entire way of life that would not exist, uh, an entire language that wouldn't exist. And if the world were structured to their needs, it wouldn't be a disability mm-hmm. for, for those that identify with that type of uh, framework. Which gets back to this point about about the church is that people say this all the time. Oh, everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. And I think they're sincere about that. They want to think that everyone's welcome. But there's a difference between saying everyone's welcome and saying this place is designed for you. And that's yep. what we need to say is we need to be able to honestly say this place was designed for you. And if it's designed for everyone on the margins, then it's going to be designed really for everyone. Yes, all of that. It's hard, too, because ah, you think about Christ's ministry, and you're like, ministry. And that's how he was doing it. That's how he did it. And when we reestablish the church on the earth, um, there's like some formalities that you have to get out of the way. You know, you have to bring back the priesthood. I mean, I that's actually kind of rude to call it a formality because it's really important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's there's things that he, they had to do to get like the church reestablished. Um, and now it kind of is on the members on, okay, now minister like Christ. What does that look like? Is it is it authentic? You know, is it like stretching yourself, getting yourself out of your comfort zone, you know? 
And I don't I I haven't spoken about this enough on my own podcast, but I've been on the edges of the disability community and in dialogue with the disability community for quite some time. My my only visit, uh, disability that people may not know about is is just minor visual impairment, which because it can be corrected and accommodated means that it doesn't impact my life as much as it would be without it. But that also spe- speaks to I don't want to say well I don't have a disability, but I also don't want to claim that I do. In a, it, it's kind of this this space we were talking about, um, but it has impacted my life in a number of ways. Like when I was younger, um, my mother, ugh, in order to in order to punish me, she took away my glasses, and I couldn't <sighs> see. And um, that's something that wouldn't ha- have happened to a person without that disability. And I, I and I my vision isn't fully corrected even with glasses. I have astigmatism, and I, some things are hard for me to see and hard for me to read. Um, which gets back to that's what I loved is I loved reading as a child and my mother took away my glasses and um and that still impacts me in in some ways um but uh where was I going I shouldn't talk about my but my point is that uh I don't in many ways I'm lucky because there's so many accommodations and uh workarounds and I can ask people to read things and I can make the print larger that I don't even think about it that much and in a sense that is how it should be for everyone in the disability community that the access should be there and that the accommodation should be there and it should just flow so easily that it's designed and and we make space and room for everyone where they are i have to say with that story that is a huge thing with disabled people do not touch aids without their permission um, even if you just start pushing a wheelchair without asking, that's a big problem. Right. Don't do that for people who haven't heard of that before. Yep. Or service dogs. Do not touch service, service dogs. dogs. That's a huge. Don't yeah, even talk. Huge... Don't even talk to the service dog. We are running out of time. Uh, let me do this then. Uh, would you guys mind dropping your socials so that people know where to find you and how to like, like just. Yeah, drop your socials, the name of the show, and otherwise where people can find you. Yes, we're at Holy Human on Instagram, W-H-O-L-Y-H-U-M-A-N, and on Facebook, at Holy Human Podcast. And our Gmail is at holyhumanpodcast at gmail.com, and our website with full transcripts um, is holyhumanpodcast.com. Awesome. I did that quick. You did. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Katie and Serena, thank you ba- Thank you both for joining us today. We look forward to hearing more from you. Uh, one of your episodes drop as well? We try to do Sundays. them on s- Sundays. Sundays. Yeah. We try our best. <laughs> awesome. Well, then we'll end on that note. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We will hope to have you guys on again. And uh, thank you for all you do. Yes, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank Bye. you, guys.